Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. You are going to be so happy that you are lending me your ears today. Hello, Power Partners, and welcome to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This is the informational playground brought to you by Be the Star You Are, charity, a literacy and positive message Profit, nonprofit of 501c3. And we are coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel, and I am your host, Cynthia Bryan. I want to catapult you from wishing upon a star to imagining your dreams as if they have already transpired. The miracle moment for today is brought to you from Be the Star You Are. Many events coming up. Please visit be the star you are.org. And by the way, the the charity Mac computer just gave out yesterday. It's an old one. So we are looking for a donation. So if you have any information about a Mac computer, new one, or um, I guess revitalized one, you can be in touch, be the star you are.org. This is from a source unknown. A friend is someone who knows your song and sings it to you when you have forgotten it. Isn't that sweet? I love that very much. Well, whether we realize it or not, we are all telling stories all the time. We're all storytellers. So it doesn't matter if you're out on a first date or a job interview or doing a sales presentation or just having dinner with family and friends. We have a need to communicate, entertain, engage, connect with others by telling stories. And our guest in our second segment today is just an amazing, an amazing bestseller author he's written an opera he is the 36 time moth story slam champion and the six time grand slam champion he's written a new book he's also a novelist and he's an award-winning teacher forgot that's a good one we need more teachers like him his name is matthew dix and his book is called story worthy and he'll be with us in segment two so definitely lend me your ears in our third segment cyber attacks on individuals and companies are on the rise and organized criminals are stealing bank accounts and identities and launch they launch these ransomware attacks and even worse because so there's cyber breaches They've escalated on a daily basis as attackers deploy new technology and um, all kinds of phishing scams. So find out how to protect yourself at least a little. But right now we're going to discuss adults who feel powerless because of overbearing parents. If that's you, whether you are an overbearing parent or you're an adult child of an overbearing parent, We have a few tips for you because it's a negative chain of command that needs to be broken. And these are going to be some of the clues. For more information about Star Style Productions and our radio shows here at Be The Star You Are, please go to starstyleradio.com and you can see Express Yourself and this 
program. So if you are an adult who winces when your parent has something to say, you know, they weigh in on your relationship or your career or your your weight, let's say, or the clothes that you wear or the house that you're living in or what you eat or any aspect of your life that is really and truly none of their business. Adult children of overbearing parents have to endure this treatment and sometimes they do it for decades. Sometimes they are just silent about it because they feel powerless to stop it or they feel that perhaps the emotional cost of doing so is just too high. And then those who stand up to overbearing parents often do so by lashing out in anger and maybe saying some hurtful words that can cause or deepen a rift in this already strained relationship. Well, Dr. Susan Newman is a social psychologist who's in New York City, and she specializes in parenting and family relationships. And she offers a better solution that I want to pass on to you because many of us are people pleasers, probably most of us, and that is the one thing we have to stop being, is stop being a people pleaser. So this is the big secret of overbearing parents. They may say or think otherwise, but in most cases, the adult children of overbearing parents are still stuck in those tapes of the parent-child relationship of their youth. It's as if they're still 10 years old and their parents still get to decide on how they live. So every time they're around their parents or they talk to their parents, these adult children just revert back to being a child and acting like a child. But there is a secret to breaking out of this very unhealthy and mostly unhappy pattern. And it's to understand that you, as the adult child, you actually have most of the power in the relationship, even though at the time it probably doesn't feel that way. So Yes, when you start putting limits on your parents' controlling behaviors, he or she will likely respond with anger. They might even give you the silent treatment. But once your parent realizes that you really mean it and that you really love them, they're going to have to learn to accept these limits. So here are a few ways that you can stand up to an overbearing parent and you can get control back into your life and build some reasonable boundaries without doing any unnecessary damage to your relationship with your parent. So these are ways to reclaim control. First of all, stop answering every call or text. Our cell phones and text messaging has made it so that we're available 24-7, and that means mom or dad or your spouse's mom or dad has access to you, but in fact, it's you who are in charge because you're the one that can either answer or not answer. So what to do? If you have a parent who is constantly contacting you repeatedly over the course of a day and has nothing important to say or explains that, you know, I mean, there's really nothing going on. They're just kind of checking. They're just maybe lonely, whatever it is. You need to be very clear that you're not going to accept repeated interruptions because you are working or you have other things that are due to do. And you just want to offer a few good times when the two of you can generally talk. So you might say, Mom, I'm not going to answer unless it's emergency. I'm not going to answer your texts or your phone calls anytime between 10 and 6 p.m. But I will be available to talk for 15 minutes, you know, from 7 to 7.15 or from 8 to 8.15 uh, 8 if that works for you. Tell me what works. The next thing is these non-vital texts and these voicemails, they keep rolling in. 
you have to just wait to respond to them when it's convenient for you. If you leap every time you get one of these intrusive calls or texts, your parent, you're actually training your parent to do this for you. And if you want to rebalance that relationship, even though it feels uncomfortable at first, you need to set your boundaries. And, you know, it will be empowering to you once you do. Now, of course, if there's any reason that you think there is something that is an emergency or a parent's life might be in danger or something, of course, answer. But other than that, don't respond quickly. Also, you need to start declaring specific topics or off limits and then express your love for your family. What happens with overbearing parents is they will insert themselves into areas of their adult children's lives where their input isn't welcome, such as advice about romantic partners, maybe about the careers, cooking, homemaking skills. Again, weight is always a big one. Or maybe money, that's always big. Spending decisions, how you groom yourself, the kinds of clothes you choose. Another big one, child-rearing decisions. And even parents can get very involved in your fertility issues if you're trying to have children. You have to think about what topics truly annoy you the most when parents weigh in. And then the next time the parent raises one of these topics, just politely explain that you're not going to discuss it, that you do not want to speak with them about it anymore. And before your parent can react, say, I love you very much, but this topic is off limits. This is for my husband and I or my wife and I, and we're not going to discuss it with you. And you might want to actually give an example. You know, it really hurts me when you criticize my wife's career and her earnings. Uh, We are very comfortable with the way we live. We like it like this. And know I love you, but understand I know what's best for me, and I'm not going to talk about that anymore. And always add that expression of love because so often your parents will respond um, defensively saying, and and this is a normal human trait, right? I was only trying to help. And you can say, I know, I love that you want to help, but we're going to talk about something else because we have this under control. So they have to know what your hot buttons are and what your do not discuss topics are. And you're going to have to repeat this unwillingness probably several times. Just try not to get frustrated when you have to repeat this request. Now, what if your parent raises off-limit topics by saying they know they're not supposed to raise it? Just respond with gratitude. And before they can get going, as soon as they say something like, well, I know I'm not supposed to, you know, talk about your weight with you, but I've noticed just immediately cut them off and say, thank you so much for respecting my wishes not to speak about this. I love you for that. And we're not going to talk about it. So let's just keep that as adults. And hopefully they're going to get the message. Also, if they're family traditions, I know so many people who feel really overburdened with all these quote-unquote family traditions that might have been traditions when they were kids, but now these kids are adults with their own kids, and they can't have Sunday dinner all the time. They can't have every Thanksgiving together because Thanksgiving has to be shared with both uh, spouses and families. And so if you have a parent that says, you know, we're always going to our cabin at Christmas time, and that's non-negotiable. 
you have to let them know that there are going to be times that you're, they're going to have to share and we, that you can't maintain all the traditions. You might also have children and their children have a busy schedule or lots of activities. You need to tell them that. You know, we live far away, Mom, and our kids have a life of their own, and I have a hectic career, so I'm not going to be able to come at this time. Now, if the tradition has become a burden, don't just skip it. You really have to acknowledge it and discuss it. So you could say, I know we have this tradition of getting together for Sunday dinners, but now that I have my own kids and they have their lives, we can't do that anymore. Maybe once in a while, and I'll let you know when. I really thank you for inviting me. Now, what if you are the overbearing parent? So what are some signs that you might be? If your adult child isn't responding to your messages or doesn't respond at all, you might want to ask yourself if you're being overbearing. Other tip-offs might be that they're hard to pin down about dates or plans, or they want to get together with you less than, you know, less than they used to, or they're using schedules for reasons they can't. If they keep reminding you how busy they are, uh, those might all be signals. Now, Keep also in mind that they really might be busy, that they might be just the, if they're just the unresponsive type, no matter what, or it's just because it's since they are, have moved away, it may not be that you're overbearing, but do a step back. And if any of these behaviors sound familiar, you can begin to remedy the situation by just paying attention to the subtleties in your interactions with your kids, your adult kids, and then change your behavior. And don't demand things. Just maybe call less, text less, let them reach out to you, and accept that your adult child does have a full, busy, occupied life. And you can also directly ask your adult child if there is an issue and, you know, they may have trouble articulating it and just say, hey, if I'm being overbearing, please let me know because that is not my intention. Because the truth is by changing behaviors and giving your child more space, by being less intrusive and less involved, you're probably going to find that your relationship is going to improve just by leaps and bounds. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but I can't wait to bring Matthew Dix on our show with his book, Story Worthy. So, Open your ears, turn up the volume, stay with me. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be back in just a bit. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. 
Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out Well, it is definitely a power party right now because I do like to bring you the pioneers on the planet. And today is no different. Steve Jobs said the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storyteller sets the vision, the values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come. Because storytelling is a skill. It is a powerful way of understanding and enhancing our lives. And if you've ever listened to NPR, you may have heard the 36-time Moth Story Slam champion, the six-time Grand Slam champion. He's a best-selling author, a life coach, a rock opera writer, and an award-winning school teacher. His name is Matthew Dix. He's just written a magnificent book, Story Worthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling. Welcome, Matthew Dix, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you so much. That was quite the introduction. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know what? You were quite the introduction. I can't wait to encourage people to go to your website, MatthewDix.com, and to definitely click on the YouTube channel and find some amazing stories. Well, I want to just jump right into this book because I am also a person that totally believes in stories. The books I write are always true stories, but I learned so much from Story Worthy. And, you know, from the beginning of time people have been telling stories around the campfire and you stated that it was stories that really helped you get friends when you were a child and growing up and getting girlfriends but it wasn't until 2011 that because of a dare and a guilt trip you finally took the stage to tell one of your stories would you share with us that backstory because I thought it was pretty great how you almost got out of it but I did I almost avoided it uh, well, my friend, my friends were listening to the Moths podcast, and some for some reason they decided that I would be good at storytelling. They told me I had the worst life of anyone they know, so I should go to the Moth and tell all of the terrible things that have happened to me. I laughed so hard when I read that. Oh, he has a terrible life. He needs to tell those stories. <laughs> That's exactly what they thought. And so I told them I was going to do it with really no intention of actually going. I figured I'd say yes, and then they'd forget about it, but they didn't. Every week the podcast would drop and they'd hear more stories and then call me and tell me you got to go. And so my wife and I finally, you know, through shame and humiliation, I decided I'll go, I'll tell one story and I'll never do it again. So we went to New York. I dropped my name in the hat at a moth story slam. They only draw 10 names throughout the night to tell stories. And there were about 20 names in the hat that night. So I sat down and just prayed that they would never pick my name. And we got through nine names without my name being picked. And lo you and knew behold, you weren't going to get it, right? <laughs> yeah, really, in my mind, I was already on the highway, heading home, gloriously having avoided the stage. And then the 10th name was mine. And at first, I didn't move, actually. 
I, it occurred to me, like, no one knows me here. If I just sit quietly, no one will bother me. But my terrible wife was with me. You know, she kicked me under the, under the table. That's you, Matthew. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, thank goodness she did, because I hated every moment of that night until I took the stage. The moment I took the stage, I realized, oh, this is something I love. And I've been doing it ever since. And this is where you're supposed to be. So your one and only time became, this has become a life passion, a life career, new jobs, new experiences. Now, one of the questions I had, because I read every word in your book, and as I said, I really, really love the book. We're talking to Matthew Dix, Story Worthy is his book, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling. Has being a writer made you a better storyteller or has being a storyteller made you a better writer? You know, I think it works both ways, to be honest with you. When I started teaching storytelling, I didn't understand why people would craft their stories in ways that didn't make sense. And then one day my wife said to me, gee, Matt, maybe it's because you've been writing for 20 years and you're a published novelist that you might know a little bit more about story than the people you're working with. And I thought, oh, I guess that's true. So I think being a writer does help my storytelling. But in the reverse, now that I'm storytelling and deconstructing stories so often and, you know, assembling stories like puzzles, I look at my novels a little differently. And I think about arcs and, you know, direction in a way I didn't before. I think what's happened is I don't have to edit my novels and revise my novels as much because I see how story works more clearly than I did before. Well, you see them as a movie in your head is the way you've said it. And you actually compare telling a story to movies that you've seen. You know, you, you often in your book, you talk about Jurassic Park, that it's not a story about dinosaurs. Right. And, <laughs> yes, go yeah. ahead. It's true. It's actually, you know, if you watch the movie carefully, you'll discover that it's really a movie about a man who can't really be with the woman he loves because she wants to have children and he does not. And he doesn't. Right. And so as the movie moves on, surprise, surprise, he ends up in Jurassic Park with two small children trying to keep them alive. And as he does, he falls in love with them. And so the movie is really about a man who falls in love with children. And as a result, he can now be with the woman he loves. But if you ever asked someone to go to a movie about that, no one would want to go to it. So Spielberg is clever. He throws dinosaurs into a real story and everyone goes to the movie and feels great about it. And a lot of times you don't even realize why you feel good about it. Like it's moving and heartfelt, but you can't really describe why. It's because it was a real story in that dinosaur movie. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're wife, Alicia. You have two children, Claire and Charlie, and you include them in many of your stories. And, of course, you and Alicia started Speak Up, a storytelling performance company throughout Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. Tell us about including your family in stories and how they feel about it. Because your wife is also a storyteller and a teacher. You're both teachers. You're both storytellers. Well, Alicia would say she's not a storyteller. She hosts our shows. So although she tells stories on stage, she's not sort of that formal storyteller. I always say she is, but she would say she's not. Yeah, Um, but it seems like she is, right? Yeah, but uh, she doesn't find herself that way. Right. I think what she's doing is she's avoiding the label because the label comes with expectations. If she's a host who's cleverly telling stories in the middle of her hosting, there's less like expectation that she's going to tell a great story. She can just pull one off as a surprise. And she's she's not going to be judged, right, Matthew? She won't be judged and she's not going to be graded. 
Right, exactly. She really has found a sweet spot, so she's clever that way. Right. Um, but when I include her in the stories or my kids, at this point, I don't talk to my kids very much about it. They're little, and the stories I tell about them are pretty innocent. There are stories that I tell about my wife that I always sort of run the content by her to make sure it's okay. And she's, she's actually, to her credit, never said I can't tell a story. Uh, to my credit, I've never brought up the stories that I think she'll say no to as well. But I don't include her in the story unless she's willing to be included. Well, when you talk about your kids, uh, one of my favorites, when you talked about Clara and Charlie and how they were the greatest magicians in the world with the worst magic shows ever, (laughs) and (laughs) Clara with the disappearing dime, do you want to tell that little one, because just a a tidbit of it, if that's all right with you, because, you know, that's something that people relate to, and I think this is what you're saying so much in StoryWorthy, is that you have to be relatable. It doesn't matter. Matter, you know, if everything is all sweet and joyish, people aren't going to relate to that. It's it's the silly things, the goofy things, the crazy things that people will really find that they can say, yeah, because I mean, you you've died twice, but uh, you know, people don't die twice and have to be brought back to life. So t- tell us about uh, Clara and Charlie and the magician and the dime. Sure, you know that's the beginning of a story actually about a really brutal robbery that I wow. suffer. But I know, I that's one of the hardest ones that you've ever been able to tell, right? Yeah, it's really my hardest story. But I open with my kids because I want something light. I want something inviting. And so, you know, my kids told us one day they were going to have a magic show for us. And uh, Clara said, I have a disappearing dime trick. I remember she was eating an apple while she was doing the magic show. And so she said, close your eyes. She held a dime in front of us and then said, close your eyes. And we closed our eyes. And then she, without me knowing, started jamming the dime into my ear. <laughs> and I remember her fingers were all like apple at the time, too. So like it was just disgusting. And my wife had no idea. So when she said, open our eyes, my wife had no idea that I had just been assaulted by our daughter. And then Clara reached in and pulled the dime out of my ear. And Alicia was astounded. She said, how did you do that? You know, and I said, she assaulted me. She jammed it into my ear while our eyes were closed. But, you know, it's a beautiful little moment, and it does relate to the story because, you know, the robbery I suffered causes me to look at my kids in an entirely different way than than sort of a normal person. And so I'm trying to point that out with the opening of that story. And as you said, you have, because the robbery is so traumatic and you actually suffered post-traumatic stress disorder and probably still have some of it to some extent, it was really nice to have this innocence in the beginning and then to close with it. And getting to that, one of the best exercises that you have designed is called Homework for Life. And I, I thought it was brilliant because it is so true that we're all storytellers. We just don't know that we have stories. But if you do your Homework for Life, you will have a story. So explain what Homework for Life is because it's so simple that everybody could could do this and then they'll, they will at least make a better dinner partner by talking about, you know, precious stories. It's true, yeah. Even if you have no intention of being a storyteller, I think Homework for Life can really change your life. It's very simple, like you said. Every day, at the end of the day, I ask myself, What's the moment from this day that is the most story worthy? The moment that made this day different than other days? Even if that moment is benign or boring or really uninteresting, I find the one moment from the day 
that makes it different. And I write it down, but I don't write the whole story down because that's just too much. I like small things that are easy to repeat. And so I use Excel, the spreadsheet program. I've got a column on the left that has the date and the column on the right stretches across my computer screen. And in that column alone, I write the story. So it's no more than two or three sentences a day that I'm writing. But what happens over time is if you really do this, you develop this lens for storytelling where suddenly you realize my life is full of stories, like little moments, which are the best moments to tell stories about. Because like you said, they're the most relatable. And those are those five second moments. That's something that you tell in your book, Story Worthy. We're speaking with Matthew Dix, author of Story Worthy and several novels, which we'll get to. But you talk about that stories are really five second moments that have happened to you. And this is where homework for life really can help you identify those five seconds that are important enough to craft a story around. Exactly. Yeah, stories are really about moments of transformation or realization. We either become a new person or we discover a new thing. People often think that stories are just a list of stuff that happened to me. No. And those are, those are the things nobody ever wants to hear. Yeah, like your vacation stories. You say, well, you know, nobody wants to hear about your trip to Bali, you know. But maybe true. the taxi driver who changed your life, that might be interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, if you go to Bali and something happens that's meaningful, like transitional or a realization, that's great. But most of the time, people just really want to tell you what they did in the order they did it without any sort of meaning or any heart or really even humor. They just sort of want to relive their vacation at your expense. And that's what people think stories are. A bunch of stuff happens, so now I'm going to tell you, rather than finding a moment of meaning which is what Homework for Life does. It helps you find meaningful moments in your day that you can then transform into stories. Well, you have broken down what makes a great story into just three very short sentences. I was this, but now I'm this. I thought this, but now I think this. I tried to become this, and instead I became this. And I found that to be very interesting because, as you said, this is a very, it's about transformation. It isn't just a litany of what you did. And also that gets me to the part of what do you leave out of stories? You made it very clear, for example, when you were writing your story um, about this is going to suck or that's going to suck. Yeah. And yeah, yeah uh, which was really this uh, a fantastic, a fantastic, fantastic story is even though there were other people in this story that you could have used, you had to be a good editor because sometimes having too many things in it is just superfluous. So this is going to suck. It's the same thing with the robbery or my father's son or probably raisins, any of these ones. You have to decide who stays in and who stays out and what's going to move the story along in the best way. Is there a kind of a, a method to deciding who to edit out? Yeah, I mean, what I say is, I always start with the end of my story, which is different than books. You know, when I'm telling a story about my life, I know where it ends. And so as I'm deciding what stays in and what stays out, I simply ask myself, does this thing serve the end of my story? Does it help me get to the ending with clarity and precision and speed? And if someone is in my story who's not helping me get to the place I need to be, they come out. You know, I often say we tell the truth, but we don't tell the whole truth. I've never added something to a story that didn't actually happen, but I'm constantly removing things from stories to bring clarity and speed and depth to a story. You know, because there, it is, there is nothing worse than listening to a story and it rambles. 
and all of a sudden it's off track and then it has to come back and and you're thinking my gosh just get to the point please <laughs> you know yeah, so most people tell stories sadly that is right. how the great majority of stories are told right well you are the author of several best selling novels as well as an opera i thought that was really cool that you wrote an opera and your novels have been translated into to many languages and what i was wondering is are there characters or situations in your novels and a couple of the names of them are something missing memoirs of an imaginary friend the perfect comeback of caroline jacobs unexpectedly milo I was wondering if characters or situations in your novels are ever based on some of those five-second moments that you have recorded while doing your homework for life exercises that you thought, huh, this might work really well in the novel. Yeah, they have. I mean, if, if you're my friend and you're reading my novels, you see my life splattered all over those novels. You can mm-hmm. see moments where like, oh, that's... That's a variation of that thing that happened to Matt, or that's a variation of a moment he had. Sometimes there are moments from my past. You know, part of homework for life is as you start to do it, you resurrect memories from your past because you start looking at your life in a new way. So a lot of times I'm resurrecting a memory that will then become a moment in one of my novels. So yeah, there's a lot of my own life that informs the fiction that I write. So in what's happening is the exercises that you are utilizing to be a Grand Slam winner and a moth winner and just a great storyteller are actually great uh, tips or prompts to be a novelist or a writer of any kind. And the way that you craft things are very different than just beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I sort of, beginning, middle, and end doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either, if I'm really being honest. You know, if you look at a story, can you really identify where the beginning, the middle, and the end mm-hmm. was? You know, that doesn't make like I said, that doesn't That's make the old-fashioned way, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, you know, the problem is so often writing and storytelling, they're taught by people who don't actually write or storytell. You know, high school teachers yeah. don't make it a practice of writing magazine articles and five-paragraph essays and novels, and yet they teach kids to do it. Right. And so they rely on things like beginning, middle, and end, and it, it doesn't work very well. So Yeah, so they're just relying on what they were taught, and then they are kind of regurgitating it. And that happens all the time in a lot of the artistic, I think, the artistic endeavors with acting, singing, et cetera. You know, how can you give advice on how to be a great actor if you've never been an actor? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? You know, the tragedy is they don't even have to, like, publish. You know, they just have to write. I, when I, I do workshops for teachers all the time and they ask me how to help kids become better writers, I'm known in my school district as a great teacher of writing. And I say, all I do is I write so I understand what they're going through. I understand what the process is like. So when you tell them they must use a graphic organizer, I tell them I've never known a single author in my entire life who has used a graphic organizer. So if the kid doesn't want to use it, don't make them use it. Like there's different ways to write and they just don't understand that. In other words, and really in order to teach well, you really have to live it. I mean, that's my philosophy as well. And I think being a teacher, you have really um, had some great experiences with that and some horrific ones where you had that I just was unbelievable. And I suppose you probably know or have an idea of who tried to kind of blackmail you and write these letters to all the 300 people in your school district or in your class, they tried to get you kicked out of school. It has to be jealousy or something like that. But 
um, I was very happy that you prevailed in that and, and that um, the school supported you. Yeah, it was a difficult time. I mean, it was 37 pages excerpted from 10 years of my blog, you know, specifically excerpted in a real terrible way. And terrible ways, right. Right, yeah. like really out of context, misleading ways to try to get me fired and sent to the mayor, the school board, the town council, and 300 families in my school district. It was a, it was really a terrible time. It was awful for my wife because truly up until that point, nothing terrible had happened to my wife. Mm-hmm. She sort of led an idyllic life and then all of a sudden she was wrapped up in this this terrible thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. Which was a total lie. And that's the, you know, the, I think the sad part is, is that it was anonymous. And what do you, how do you find these people who want to maintain their, their being anonymous and they don't claim it? That is just so frustrating. Well, let's give out your website just once again. The book is called Story Worthy. Matthew Dix 36-time Moth Story Slam champion. Are you? Maybe it's more because since the book's been published, um, I. But I looked at your website. It still said 36. Have you won more? No, I haven't. I've been. Um, I've been doing a lot of things for the book. I haven't gotten to the moth as often as I like this yeah, year. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, because. Yes, because I can just tell that that uh, whenever you have a new book, right, you have to do all the marketing and get out and talk about it and all of that. So it's tough. But if people go to Matthew's website, Matthew Dix, and it's Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, D as in dog, I-C-K-S, like Sam, dot com. From there, you can click and get to his YouTube channel, and you can watch a plethora of some of his award-winning moth uh, stories, and they are so wonderful. I think that the wonderful thing, Matthew, is they make you laugh, they make you cry, but most of all, you're in the moment, and these are other things that you teach, is about the techniques, how to make the location, don't use vulgarity, you know, don't use accents, all these things that people kind of don't think about how important they are. So um, you're an amazing teacher and a very, a very dedicated husband. So I think that uh, your wife is a very fortunate, you're both fortunate and we have, you have two great kids. So I'm so glad that you've come on Star Style today to share story worthy and some of your moth experiences. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, again, Matthew Dick's website, matthewdix.com, and the book, Story Worthy, and it is brand new. You can get a copy now. And on top of that, check out his other novels that are there, Something Missing, Memoirs of an Imaginary Friend, Perfect Comeback of Caroline Jacobs, et cetera, et cetera. And you can find out a lot more. Keep doing what you're doing. And I also just want to applaud you and congratulate you on being an award-winning teacher. I wish there were more people out like that that were teaching our children to be the stars that they were meant to be because obviously you really, really care, Matthew. So thank you for that. Thanks. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. You're, you're a good daddy, good daddy. So Matthew Dix, everyone, Story Worthy is the book. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. My name is Cynthia Bryan. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel, and we hope that you will catch some of the, the, moth, uh, the moth broadcasts or podcasts and, of course, MatthewDix.com. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you so much, Cynthia. You're so welcome, and I'll be back in a bit. Don't go away. Be the star you are. 
Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. You know how to be a star in the business world. Some of the most successful businesses in the world are very small and might be completely unknown to the general public. And most of these small companies dominate their market and they're just what we call secret stars. They share some common traits. They provide leadership and self-reliance. They hire well. They keep uh, their employees happy. They like to have more work than workers. They have a strong vision for what they want to accomplish. They create a company culture that the employees can follow and enforce. Ambitious goals keep them on track, and they make sure their goals are realistic and attainable. Successful stars concentrate on their core strengths and outsource other specialties. They're focused, they practice innovation on a continual basis, and they monitor competition. These star strategies can be applied to any business. Implement them, and your company could be the next success story. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Cynthia Bryan with an I dot com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be the Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be the Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376. 376 Moraga, California 94556 org. Dare to care You are the star It's power time on Star Style Be the star you are with your passion, purpose and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan now, back to the power party. This business of show well, when we talk about passion and possibility and all the things that make a great story, I think Matthew Dix is just the epitome of that. So do pick up a copy of his book, Story Worthy. You will really enjoy it and visit his website and watch his uh, YouTube channel because the stories that he tells are short, succinct, and really to the point. And it sounds like it's the first time he's saying it, but in reality, he has taken a lot of time to craft these stories very carefully, and we can all learn from that. Well, I want to give you the anatomy of a phishing attack because cyber attacks on companies and individuals are continuing to grow more prevalent, sophisticated, and dangerous. And organized criminals, they're stealing our bank records. There's terrorists that are launching ransomware attacks. There are state actors that are slipping 
enter information systems, and then they go quiet until they see an opportunity to exploit their presence. I think we're kind of living in scary times. I mean, the World Economic Forum reported that cyber breaches recorded by businesses doubled in the last five years from 68 per business in 2012 to 150 per business in 2017. That is a really, a really a big jump. So to carry out these breaches, What's happening, attackers deploy a mix of patience, technology, and know-your-target social engineering techniques. The um, Sean Moyer, who's a founding partner at Atreides Partners, uses hackers' tricks on behalf of clients to test their security practices and find weaknesses before they can be exploited. So he had a couple of tips um, that... Gives, you know, it shows us how the attackers are thinking, and it really can show weak points of any cybersecurity system and even for employees. So here's what they do. Step one, surveillance. So the hacker looks for a way into a company's computer system through an employee. Now, a, car, a very common target would be a new employee including executives who are often more susceptible to emails or other communications from hackers because the hackers will disguise these emails as legitimate company business. And another favorite is to target an IT staffer who has really wide access to company's data. Now, hackers can find potential targets and their contact information from so many sources, from scanning the news reports of executive turnover, to going to websites, to actually even searching the rosters of Little League baseball teams and parents' email addresses from school books. That's scary. And then step two is the attack. Once a target or targets are identified, the hacker will then send the bait. Often it's a phishing email uh, you know, that contains a link or a document for the recipient to click on. Sometimes it is a link to a video or it might even be a DVD that they're instructed to put on the company computer and watch. Now, once they're installed or inside, the recipient clicks on the link or the document or clicks on the DVD or opens it. There's a hidden software program and that launches. And depending on the type of attack, the program can allow the hacker to collect information from individual infected computers. It can give the hacker access to the company's entire computer network. It can lock infected computers. It can deny their users access to company networks. And it can use the infected computers as part of a network for launching uh, hacking attacks outside of the company to other companies. So it just becomes like a domino effect. And the fourth thing is the payoff. Attackers can transmit uh, usernames and passwords along with all this other sensitive information gleaned from infected computers back to the hackers' computers, and it's often disguised in the company's own outbound web traffic. So passwords then can be used to unlock the owner's financial accounts, credit card numbers, and then Guess what? Sold to identity thieves. And then spies can use the access to individual computers or an entire company network to see steal corporate secrets, to monitor internal communications, to embarrass employees by publishing emails or other sensitive information. They can lock up computers. They can demand a ransom, as we've seen lately, um, just to you know restore access. And networks of hijacked computers They're called botnets. They can be used to send out spam or launch 
denial of service attacks in which they bombard a website or computer system with so much traffic that it can't even operate. Now, how can you protect yourself? Of course, one of the things is to upgrade the software on a continual basis. Whenever you get an update from whatever platform you're using, whether it's Apple or Microsoft, make sure you update. We saw what happened to the hospitals in Europe this um, past year when they were all this ransomware and people were locked out. They had to use pen and paper. And the one thing that I also wanted to talk about, because a big thing right now are all these AI gadgets like, you know, Alexa and, um, and the Google Home. Well, you might think that your virtual assistant is your trusted companion, and you might be one of these people that want all the newest and brightest things, and, you know, that they're just going to give out weather forecasts and recipes and news and all sorts of of stuff that you would like to do on request. But these devices can also pose a host of security risks that could render users vulnerable to hacks, to eavesdropping, to data siphoning, and to other threats that not may not be immediately apparent. And that danger was highlighted not too long ago when Amazon said that one of its Echo Home speakers mistakenly recorded a private conversation and sent it to someone in the owner's contact list. Now, Amazon confirmed a report by a local television station who had reported it in Seattle that said that the device misunderstood pieces of a conversation as commands. Because, you know, we'll say, Alexa, you know, do this, or um, or Echo, do this, or Home. And so whatever happened, somebody must have echoed something and it was sent out to a private person. That could be disastrous. And so there's no way to ensure that your devices like uh, Alexa or Echo or Google's Home are completely safe. And there are steps that can help protect your privacy. And there are measures that are increasingly important. There was a Gallup poll that was released in March of 2018 that said 22% of U.S. adults use both voice-activated assistance, a number that is certain to keep rising. And I know just with my iPhone, I have, um, I love my iPhone, but Siri never understands me. And when I try to use Siri to do something, it's unbelievable the things that she comes back with. I'll tell her, you know, to call John Smith and she'll come back with, who, which Karen Karen Jones, do you want? And it's like, how did you get Karen Jones out of John Smith? So here are some tips to help you keep your device as secure as possible. And this might be one that you haven't thought about. Don't buy secondhand. While prices can be steep for new devices, it's generally a bad idea to seek out deals on used smart speakers. And the reason for that, it could easily be manipulated into a remote eavesdropper uh, and it could be on display in your home and you wouldn't even know that it is eavesdropping on you. And uh, the charity Be The Star You Are, our Mac computer just is too old now and it can't get online anymore because all of the browsers have all this increased security since all these things have been happening. And um, so we're looking for a new computer, but I'm not going to take a used computer unless it's from someone that I truly trust because um, you don't know what's on it. 
And don't defer to the default settings. Pay attention to your device's settings and be conscious of the information you allow it to access because it may be unknowingly putting your privacy at risk. For example, if you connect your device with your calendar, you might be enabling remote management to link to the web or to a third-party account, you know, like music streaming service. It could expose you to other vulnerabilities, so you have to be really careful. You might want to use a separate router and be careful what you say or hit mute because they're used to waking up when you say Alexis or Echo or Google. And the last thing that I really think is just don't even buy one at all. That's my personal solution and because I don't think that we they are uh, foolproof yet and they're very hackable and the privacy has to be a big issue. And although regulations went into effect in the European Union that make data collection more transparent. Here in the United States, we don't really have that yet. So you might be exposing yourself way, way too much. Well, that's our show for today. I hope that we have filled your ears with enlightenment and entertainment and education and amusement and giving you some great tips about storytelling. For more information about Star Style Productions or uh, or my coaching you can go to cynthiabryan.com to make a donation to be the star you are charity to keep this show on the air as well as to increase literacy and positive media messages please visit be the star you are.org i am always here to encourage inspire inform amuse motivate you and to get you to read an actual book because reading a book is like a book uh, is like a garden in your pocket and I want to encourage you this week, the book is Story Worthy by Matthew Dix. So until we celebrate next week, next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encourage you to be the star you are. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference and tell a great story. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.